Hey there, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Dark Dreams and Troubled Souls podcast, where I read my creepy stories just for you. Today's story is Strange Sushi. Are you ready? Here we go. Jeanette pulled me along the sidewalk by my hand. Why the rush? I asked. You're never on time for anything. Well, we have to be on time for this, Amy, or we don't get to eat. It took me six months to get this table. Neither of us was dressed for a fancy restaurant. I was in a red t-shirt and jeans, even more casual than usual, but she hadn't given me time to change. The way she rushed me, I barely had time to pull back my hair. Bad enough that I had to leave work early. I needed that money. But Jeanette was the most adamant I'd ever seen her about anything. The restaurant was an old downtown, third in a line of brick-faced cafes and little shops. She threw open the door, sweeping into the place with a dramatic flourish. Good thing I didn't waste time dressing up. Dingy, golden walls, framed but faded stock photos of Asian food, frail wooden furniture that looked circa 1980-something, stained carpet that was probably burgundy once. The place smelled of old grease and old lady perfume. A hostess inside rushed us to the only empty table, seating us quickly. Before our butts could warm the seats, glasses of wine, glasses of ice water, and plates full of sushi were placed in front of us. What, we don't get to order? I asked. I told you this place was different. Jeanette gave me a mischievous grin. The food looked normal enough. A typical arrangement of sushi rolls. Off to the side sat a spiny purple thing. I held it up. Sea urchin? Yeah, you have to eat that one last. I'd never had sea urchin before. It wasn't exactly on my list of foods I wanted to try, either. Jeanette read the trepidation on my face. Just wait and see. You're going to love this. We commenced eating as others around us already were. Everyone had the same plate of food, and everyone ate around the sea urchin. Jeanette scanned the crowd more intensely than usual. Every seat was filled and I could tell by the awkward small talk within earshot that some people were sharing tables with strangers. I asked, so do you know any of these people? She shook her head, still wearing that grin of hers, then asked, have you ever wondered what it's like to be someone else? What? No. Maybe. Jeanette had a weird eagerness about her. She pointed out several people in the dinner crowd, telling me to look, but not look. She noted their clothes, tried to guess whether they had money. This was strange, because she was usually face down in her phone. Holy crap, she said. Do you see her? Several women were visible in the direction she was looking. Who? That woman over there. Yeah? Do you know who that is? Should I? That's Isabella Voorhees. She's kind of a celebrity around here. Back in her younger days, she went to all the parties, all the shows. She knew Andy Warhol. Cool? I didn't really know what else to say. A server came and topped off our wine. I had to admit, the food was decent. 
and I couldn't argue with the efficiency of the service. I still didn't get why she was so excited. Not much conversation passed between the other diners. I was so used to loud restaurants and pubs, people engaged in debates, or at least a low rumble of conversation. I hadn't realized how much a part of the dining experience they were until I ate in this restaurant that was almost as quiet as a library. I felt weirdly isolated, afraid to say anything above a whisper because everyone in the room would overhear it. When they got down to the purple sea urchin, when it was the only food left on their plates, they would stop eating and wait patiently. Were we not allowed to leave or something? Finally, when the last sliver of fish was gone, a waiter, a lanky bald man in a tuxedo, moved to the center of the room to address the crowd. He folded his hands in front of him and waited until he had everyone's attention. I'd like to thank you all for taking part in this evening's dinner. Before we move on to the urchin, I'd like to remind you all to be considerate. Do unto others as you would have done to you. He held up a finger as if to scold us. Any transgressions and we will add your name to the list of banned individuals. Now, is everyone ready? Apparently, this was the cue to pick up our urchins, so I did. The others flipped theirs over in their hands. Jeanette showed me how to split the bottom open. The meat inside was white, with a shadowy undertone. It didn't look like anything I'd want to eat. The waiter said, You may begin. Jeanette put the underside to her mouth and slurped down the lot of it. I followed suit. The meat was bitter and wet, then weirdly spongy, with small round pellets mixed in. I had to stifle a gag. This was the last time Jeanette got to pick where we ate. Eager to be rid of the nasty thing, I tried to swallow it. It wouldn't go down. It lodged in my throat and I choked. I tried to tell my friend, but when I looked up, she was choking too. Her face a deep scarlet. In fact, everyone who had eaten the urchin seemed to share our predicament. My first thought was poison. Someone had poisoned us all. The waitstaff including the man who gave us permission to eat the urchin, stood around, waiting, none of them surprised by what must have been a horrific scene. Were they all in on it? Jeanette passed out, her head thumping hard onto the plate. I tried to shout for help, but the word wouldn't come. The urchin meat had locked it away somewhere deep within me. The room went black. A raging brain freeze headache roused me. As I opened my eyes, I couldn't remember where I was or what I was doing. Then the wheels in my brain began slowly turning. Sushi. Sea urchin. Jeanette. My head felt strangely heavy and full. I sat up, looked around, and saw that I was sitting at a different table. Everything in the room was tinted green and I wondered if it was a residual effect of whatever made all of us choke, or if the purveyors of sea urchin had changed the lights while I was out. I cleared a catch from my throat, noting the strange sound I made. I tried my voice again. It was deep, male-sounding. 
The seat across from me was empty. I looked around to find many others were as well. The old lady was still there, as well as a couple other stragglers. I steadied myself on the table as I stood. The clothes I wore were different. I touched the shirt. My chest ran a hand through my now short hair. The hand was male, my arms hairy. I made a dash for the restrooms at the back of the restaurant, pushing into the ladies' room. The face in the mirror was not my own. It was a man with dark hair. Judging by the look of him, he hadn't shaved in a few days. His dark shirt was rumpled and smelled faintly of cologne. I touched the mirror with the hope that it was a window or some kind of electronic screen. Maybe someone was messing with me. No such luck. I splashed cold water on my face. I needed to get my bearings, figure out what the heck was going on. Wrong restroom, a woman said as she came out of the stall behind me. When I didn't react with the proper level of urgency, she spoke louder. Hey buddy, did you hear me? You're in the wrong restroom. You need to leave. I will, just give me a sec. She softened. Aw, uh, first time? I guess. Don't worry, you'll get the hang of it. Next time, check the equipment before you pick a door. She pointed at my crotch. Equipment? I suddenly realized that I was in possession of a body part I had not previously owned. My face burned red, and I rushed out of the restroom, dreading the next time I'd have to pee. Aside from the staff, not many people remained in the dining room. I spotted Jeanette off to one side, chatting with a man I didn't know. I rushed over to her. Jeanette, what's going on? I don't understand what's happening. She turned to me and smiled, saying, I'm sorry, sweetie, but I don't know you. She walked away. The old woman, Isabella Voorhees, sat at a table near a window, facing me with a mischievous grin on her face. I knew that grin. I went over and sat in the chair across from her. Jeanette? Her smile widened, and she replied, Good guess. What the hell is going on? Why am I a man? She lowered her voice to an excited whisper. Do you love it? I've always wondered what it would be like to become somebody else. I can't believe I got Isabella's body. This is going to be the best. Wait, this was supposed to happen? Yeah, the sea urchin does it. Aren't you excited? No, I'm not excited. Why would you think this is okay? You could have warned me at least. That was important information. Well, that would have ruined the surprise. Besides, you never would have agreed to it. She looked indignant. Who else would give you this experience? You're crazy. We should exchange phone numbers so we can talk. How long am I going to be like this? It isn't forever, is it? Of course not. What kind of friend do you think I am? It should last about 15 hours. 15 hours? I have to work in the morning. It will be fine. I'll call in for you. I'll act like I'm your grandmother. She switched tones to make herself sound older and more dramatic and said, 
Oh, Amy is so darn sick. She won't be in today. She also can't talk on the phone. That is never going to work. Why wouldn't it work? Because for one, you're a horrible actress. Never do that again. I sighed. What am I supposed to do? She rolled her eyes. I don't know. Enjoy the experience? I don't know why you always have to be so logical and responsible. Look, this is magic, right? Actual magic. Go do something amazing with it. She gathered her new belongings and headed for the door. I asked, where are you going? I'm going to enjoy all the perks of being Isabella Voorhees. Do you know how many freebies she gets? Not to mention, she's invited to everything. Anyway, give me your phone number. We fumbled around with the phones until we managed to get the phone numbers. Then we went our separate ways. As I watched her leave, I felt betrayed and abandoned. Who does this? Plant a friend in a stranger's body and then just hang them out to dry? I needed a drink. I found a wallet in my back pocket and pulled it out. My name was Sam Collins. I said the name aloud to myself, Sam Collins. The wallet also contained cash. Nice of Sam to leave it for me. I had about 50 bucks and two credit cards. I walked a few blocks, collecting my thoughts, getting my head together. I looked at the phone. There were some text messages, but not much. Sam must have cleared it off before dinner. I wondered who was in my body. I used Sam's phone to call my phone. My own voice answered, which was strange. Hello? Hello? I said back. Who is this? This is Sam, I guess. I don't know how to ask you this, but this is Amy, and... I was suddenly unsure of everything that was happening. I didn't even know what I really wanted to ask. Too many questions popped into my head at once. She said, Honey, you should have come with more money in your wallet. What am I supposed to do with this? You have $20.87. I'm going to have to dip into your bank account. My friend brought me to the restaurant as a surprise. I didn't know what was going to happen. Can we hang out for the night or something? I would have been more comfortable if I could, at least, keep tabs on my body. No, I'm sorry, but that's not happening. Why? Because what would be the fun in that? What? Do you have any idea how long it's been since I've been this young? I mean, for real young? And then I knew that Isabella Voorhees had my body. She was a party girl trapped in an elderly body for who knew how long. Now she was officially off the leash for a fleeting 15 hours. She added, I'm going to party like it's 1969. I don't think that's a good idea, I said, suddenly panicking. Why? Because I, oops, gotta go, ciao. She disconnected. I looked at the phone as the screen went dark. I held the flood of what-ifs at bay and moved on toward a pub down the street and a much-needed beer. I hadn't been in the place before, but I'd passed by. 
Even so, the warm darkness of the place felt like home. I wondered if Sam went there, if the memory of it lived somewhere in the back of the brain my consciousness was inhabiting. I picked up a beer at the bar and continued to a booth in the back corner. I needed to be alone for a minute to process the insanity my life had become and would continue to be for the next 15 hours or so. I started by emptying the contents of Sam's wallet onto the table. There were a couple of credit cards, a debit card. I could have easily have stolen his identity. Wedged under his license, I found a business card for a detective named Roland Jarvis. I felt strange as I held it, but I couldn't put my finger on why. A couple beers later, I moved to the bar. The alcohol had loosened me up. I had survived my first male urination experience with only minor awkwardness, and I was feeling okay with being Sam at that moment. I noticed a couple of women at the end of the bar staring at me. I found my gaze lingering on them, and to my horror, almost an involuntary action, I gave them a sly smile and a wink. Oh God. I kicked my own internal ass and then made for the door. Apparently, I'd gotten the male hormones along with the rest of Sam. Outside, night had fallen. I turned right, in the direction of my apartment, then remembered that I didn't have a key to my place, and I couldn't ask the super for one either because I had become a stranger. I took out Sam's wallet once more and plugged the address on his driver's license into the phone to get directions. I turned and went the way the robotic lady voice told me to. I had walked for a while when a male voice behind me addressed Sam. It didn't register at first. Hey, Collins. He grabbed my arm and pulled me aside. Where have you been? The man was short and round, with a Yankees hat pulled over his dark hair. He wore a tan jacket that struck me as a little old man-ish. Eating sushi? I replied. He glanced around. Come over here real quick. I need to show you something. Why can't you show me here? Just come on. His grip on my arm was still too hard as he led me around the corner. Once we were in the shadows, behind a dumpster, he shoved me against the wall, smacking the back of my head against brick, and I saw stars. Before those cleared, his fist connected with my face. I fell to my hands and knees on the ground, my mind reeling from the sudden violence, and then he kicked me in the ribs. Unable to breathe, I fell onto my side, onto the concrete. I gagged on the heavy stench of garbage and the taste of blood in my mouth. I must have bitten my tongue. Mick wants his money, he said. He's coming for you, Collins, and it ain't gonna be pretty. Five grand. I hope you've got it, because excuses won't cut it anymore. Me too. I managed to choke the words out. I'd never been in a fight before. Even in the body of a somewhat tall male human, I had no idea how to defend myself. If you know what's good for you, if you like all your appendages intact, I recommend you scrape up all you can ASAP. I can guarantee that your life depends on it. Comprende? I lifted a trembling arm to give him a thumbs up. He must have found this an acceptable answer because he left. 
whistling as his footsteps receded into the night. Battered and bruised, I hauled myself up from the pavement. My face was hot and throbbing. The left side of my rib cage felt broken. I could pinpoint exactly which ribs hurt, which somehow made it worse. I called Jeanette slash Isabella. She answered after a few rings, sounding winded. Amy? I mean, Sam? She giggled. You sound like you're having a good time, I snarled. You would not believe the freebies, and her social media presence is probably the envy of every wannabe celebutant ever. All I have to do is agree to post a picture of something, and people give it to me for free. I so wish I could keep her body. This is the best night ever. Well, I just got my ass kicked. What? Why? Because Sam owes some guy named Mick five grand. Oh, that's not good. I think Sam may have switched bodies to escape people looking for him. That sucks. She was barely listening. She spoke to someone in the background, asking, Do you have this in white? Thank you so much. Jeanette. What? What happens if I die while I'm in Sam's body? You are being dramatic. Don't worry about it. You probably just bounce back to yours. Probably. I needed to stay alive. Some part of me knew that. If I didn't return to my body, could that set off some kind of chain reaction with the other body hoppers? With grim satisfaction, I imagined Jeanette being stuck in an elderly body before her time. That would serve her right. Isabella Voorhees seemed like a fine enough person to be, but Jeanette would lose years. A lot of them. As I reached the end of a street, rain fell. The closer to Sam's place I got, the more of it there was. I stopped in front of a bank machine, thinking I might check for money in Sam's bank account. Then I remembered that I didn't have the pen. Judging by this drastic attempt to escape his fate, I highly doubted he had the five grand he owed Mick, whoever that was. By the time I reached Sam's building, the shower had graduated to an all-out downpour. My clothes were soaked. I trudged up the stairs to the second floor, unlocked the door with keys I found in his pocket. Inside, the apartment was dark and it smelled of old cigar smoke and greasy food. In the kitchen, I found a half-eaten salami sub and helped myself to the rest of it. Next would come a hot shower and a change of clothes. Barely able to contain my excitement, I headed for the bedroom and presumably the bathroom. I flipped the switch and found a man sitting at the edge of the bed, grinning at me. I asked, You really sat there, waiting in the dark, for me to come in? What are you, a movie villain? I nearly laughed at him, despite the rush of fear. A pair of men seemed to come out of nowhere and grab my arms. Let me guess, you must be Mick. Very funny. He walked over to me. I'm going to have to write your debt off as a loss. Do you know how much that frustrates me? A lot? He punched me in the stomach, 
bringing a fresh round of agony from my ribs. I would have doubled over if not for the goons holding me. Bring him. Mick left the room, and we all followed one big parade of testosterone and fear. I shouted as they dragged me down the stairs. Where were my neighbors? Were they not home? Maybe they didn't want to get involved? Maybe they were calling the cops right then. I hoped they were, though the cops probably wouldn't get there in time to save my life. A dark sedan with tinted windows waited in the rain. The cliches never stop with you all, do they? I asked. The goons slammed me against the outside of the car once, twice, and all the fight went out of me. Then I was in the back seat, squished between the two of them. They were actually quite large, and they reeked of cigarette smoke. I hadn't really noticed before I was crammed into the back seat with them. I asked, can't we work something out? I mean, maybe I could do some chores or wash dishes or something? Mick gave me a rueful grin from the front seat. Nah, we're past that. He turned back around and told the driver, go. Then we were moving. I listened to the rain and the sound of the windshield wipers, my brain working frantically to find an escape. If I could just make the right move, if I could just say the right thing, I could weasel out of this. All I had to do was survive until I could return to my body. Then Sam's problems could be Sam's problems again. We drove for a long time through neighborhoods I didn't recognize. I tried to keep track of what turns we made, street names. We left the city behind for open roads, and new panic swelled within me. Where are we going? I asked. Mick said, Since you can't be trusted, I have to put you down like a rabid dog. That's what happens when you can't pay your debts like an upstanding citizen. I freaked out, bucking and thrashing in the back seat as best I could. I shouted, I begged. I tried to explain who I was through sobbing and screaming. The meatheads grabbed my arms, my hair. The silent driver pulled the car to the side of the road, and they hauled me out into the rain. One held me while the other punched me in the face, and then everything inside me but the pain went quiet. Mick's voice in the distance said, Stick him in the trunk. The one holding me turned me around and slammed me against the car a couple more times for good measure. Then they did as Mick asked, picking me up by my waistband and then toppling me inside. The trunk lid slammed. The carpet grated against my skin, but I felt better in the dark, without their hands on me. I blacked out. I came to as the trunk lid popped open. They lifted me from the trunk and let me stand, Every inch of my body hurt then. I was weak and trembling, not ready to give up yet, but I was able to see the calm that would come with resignation. We had parked next to some kind of brick building, a faded logo featuring a smiling fish peeling open a can of sardines was painted on the wall, and for some reason it made me laugh. There was something morbid about that, a fish presenting a can of his dead brethren for human consumption. One of the thugs grabbed the back of my neck and led me along as we made our way around the side to the back. There were trees there, 
perhaps the edge of a wooded area. At a patch of gravel under some trees, they forced me to my knees. The rain had lightened, and drops ran down my face. Somehow cleansing, in what could be my final moments, I closed my eyes. I listened to the sound of it, felt every breath enter and leave me with a kind of clarity I'd never experienced. Life was good, despite all the problems, despite this very strange ending. I was okay. I thought of my parents, my brother and sisters. I thought of my dog. I called up memories of sunny days in my childhood. Sorry I had to come to this, Mick said, but we have to set an example. This isn't the Wild West. There are rules. My face was down, my eyes closed, but I knew what the cold metal pressed against my head was. I was glad it would be quick. There were worse ways to go, definitely more painful ones. A strange sound cut through the night. I didn't know what it was at first. Then came flashing lights, and the sound resolved itself into a police siren. Mick said, What the? I didn't give him a chance to finish. I didn't wait to see how this scene would play out. I knew only that my life depended on getting away. Gunfire erupted as I jumped to my feet and bolted into the trees. Into deeper darkness and wet leaves, I ran blindly, tripping, rising, slamming into trees I didn't see in time. I slipped in mud and pushed through, and the gunshots became distant. Then my shoe caught on a tangle of something, and I fell forward, down a hill, rolling, unable to stop myself. My head hit something hard, and everything went black. Music played nearby. Classic rock. I resolved not to commit to waking up until I could name that tune. I wasn't ready for reality until I did. All the vampires, walking through the valley, move west, down Ventura Boulevard, and all the bad boys are standing in the shadows, and the good girls are home with broken hearts, free-fallen, Tom Petty. I opened my eyes. I was lying on a floor with several other people. We were clothed. That was almost always good. But where the hell was I? I remembered. Jeanette? Sushi? Sam? Mick. My pulse launched into overdrive. I sat up, checked myself. I was me. I was Amy again, and uninjured. Alive. My head pounded like I'd had six drinks too many. I had woken up in a fancy house. I had nothing on me. No purse, no phone. Several more people lay throughout the house. On the furniture, on the floor. The place was a mess. Spills and bottles and glasses everywhere. The kitchen, which was bigger than my entire apartment, looked as if a hurricane swept through. Whoever owned the place was going to be pissed when they woke up. By some miracle, I stumbled upon my bag. My stuff, phone included, was inside. I called Jeanette for a ride. I called the office to let them know I wouldn't be in that day. Back home, I cleaned my place a bit. All the while, I kept thinking of Sam. Was he okay? 
I searched his name in the name of the city to see if he was mentioned in any news stories. Nothing came up, but I eventually found a story about Mick and his goons dying in the shootout with the police. Cold dread washed over me. Sam was still at the bottom of that hill in the woods. What if he died after all? I sat on my couch and thought for a long time. Did I want to get involved? His well-being, or lack thereof, wasn't my problem. Not really. And he was an ass for trying to pawn his problems off on someone else. No. If he died, it would be my fault. Whether I liked it or not, I was already involved. I remembered the detective's name from the business card in Sam's wallet. Roland Jarvis. Maybe that was his friend. I called around and finally found the guy. Convincing him to check out the woods behind the sardine factory was a challenge, but I managed to do it. An army of police officers with dogs went out and found Sam, alive but injured. Later, Jarvis called me to give me an update. We're keeping him in protective custody. He was planning to testify against an illegal gambling ring for us. We appreciate your help with keeping him alive. How do you know him, if you don't mind me asking? We went out for sushi once. The End Thank you for listening to the Dark Dreams and Troubled Souls podcast. If you'd like to help a girl out, please rate and review the podcast. Additionally, more fiction is on the way, so be sure to subscribe if you'd like to get in on that. The full series, which includes stories not featured here, is available in ebook form on Amazon. My website and blog can be found at www.learyan.com. See you next time.